Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. Today is, uh, so it's June 2nd. That's a special day in my life. It's my uh, anniversary today. So 18 years I've been married. <laughs> Best applause for my long-suffering wife. <laughs> uh, she's an amazing uh, partner in life and ministry. And so, so it's, a, it's a special day for me. Um, we were able to celebrate our anniversary on Thursday. We went to Boston together, went to see a show, went to see a band. And uh, so we used to do that when we were younger. Before we had kids, we'd go out quite a bit. We had friends who were in bands, and we'd go to these music clubs uh, in and around Boston. We had a great time doing that. So it just kind of brings us back to those days. So it was a really good time. And uh, so this particular club we went to was in Kenmore Square. How do you know when you're in Kenmore Square? Sitco sign. Right, that's the, that is the landmark. It is there. It's, um, it's more than that. It's a, it's a sign that originally had been meant to uh, advertise petroleum products, but it is, uh, the, it's, the, it's the sign for Fenway Park. It, is, it has become that. When, when I see that sign, I think of uh, driving to Boston with my family when I was a kid to go to Red Sox game. My dad is not a city driver. He is not a... a Boston driver in any way. He's very polite. He's a very cautious driver. So it was always an adventure. Because when you're in those neighborhoods, you have to sort of adopt the customs of driving, or you're going to get, you know, it's, it's like um, kill or be killed kind of driving. So he was always very cautious and was before GPS and, and, and you know, the street maps of Boston are like, what, what's even the point? And um, so, but we had the sign. See, okay, we could see the, the Sitco sign, so just head towards the Sitco sign, and we knew them when we got there. So when I see that Sitco sign, I think of riding with my family, I think about sitting in the bleachers, and all the sights and smells of, of sitting out there uh, with my sisters and my, my parents. The, uh, now, the bleachers back then, you know, in the olden days when I was a kid, the, the bleachers back then were not nearly as friendly or nice uh, or expensive as it is today. So it was a very different experience. I learned a lot of things. I heard a lot of things. I saw a lot of things beyond baseball uh, going on out there. And it was just all these memories flood back when I see that sign, this iconic, uh, the sign. Now, but I also know that there are people who see that sign. They think of Fenway Park and, and Kenmore, and they think of all these things, but they've never experienced the reality of Fenway Park. They've never seen those sights or smelled those smells or tasted the Fenway Frank. They, they've, they've never actually gone in. They've heard about it. They may really think they understand it because they have a lot of friends who, you know, who uh, see the sign and who have been into these games. They may have even watched it on television and you see a home run go and you see the sign in the distance, but they've never actually experienced the reality that that sign represents. Uh, today, this morning, in our worship and in our sermon, we're focusing on a sign. Uh, we're considering the sacrament of communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table. We refer to it in, in all these terms, but it is, it is a sacrament. Now, all the way back in the 5th century, one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, uh, he defined sacrament as this. He said, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. So it's an outward sign of an invisible inward grace. And I think that's a good definition. There are, certainly it's a good start towards a definition or part of a definition that what we experience through the sacrament is a sign. It points to something 
different than itself. It points to something beyond itself. And every sign is that way. You know, you see um, our sign out front, Free Christian Church, points to the reality of this community. But this community is far more than that sign. Uh, there's a sign on the corner pointing towards North Andover. North Andover is so much more than just a sign. Right? So it's the sign is pointing to something that is so much bigger and greater and profound. So what is this sign pointing to as Jesus uh, introduces this sign to his disciples? And I want to focus on that today. Jesus is pointing to something. He's pointing backwards to something. He's pointing presently to something with them. And he's also pointing forward to something. And I want to look at past, present, future of what Jesus is pointing to in this sign together. Let's pray as we, as we do this together. Father, as we, as we approach a, a topic, as we approach something that may be very familiar to many of us, Lord, we pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would be new. That it would be renewed in us, that uh, you would renew our calling, that you would renew our faith in you, that you would renew our very lives, and that it would, through us, renew our communities in our families, and this very church, Lord. So we pray for renewal and revival and for just a deep experience of your abiding presence, Lord. We praise you that you are here. We praise you that you uh, bring that life to us, Lord. We give you all the glory. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing is Jesus... Um, in, in, so gives this sign to his disciples. He's, the sign is pointing backwards to the Passover. So they're reclining uh, at the table, and Jesus, verse 15, he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's this deep connection to, uh, with the Lord's Supper and with a Passover celebration. It's very intentional. Jesus is, is obvious about what he's pointing to here. And we don't want to lose that. Because as Christians, we celebrate communion here at this church every month, and it may be something that your entire life, you've grown up uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, but we can lose sight of the beautiful background, our, our Jewish history, that is present when we celebrate this. And we don't want to lose that. It's sort of like my kids don't know that the Sitco sign was to sell petroleum. I don't even know if they've ever really been to a Sitco station or would know what that is. They see the sign, they say Fenway Park. So actually, it started as something else. And here Jesus uh, is showing them this connection to something that was even further back. So uh, it was a historic remembrance. The Jewish festival of Passover is a celebration that's been celebrated for over 3,000 years. To this very day, uh, Jewish people celebrate this commemoration. And so it's part of... The reason why 3,000 years is important is because it's, it's part of a world historic event. So every time we participate in this, it's connecting us all the way back. And the, the Passover was the central historic event in the life of the Jewish person. And for us as Christians, if someone were to say, what is the key historic central event of the Christian faith? You would say, it's the cross. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ celebrate on Easter and that we reflect on throughout the year. For the Jewish person, it was certainly the Passover. It was uh, this central point where the, this nation of people, this family of people, through their migration, you can read about this in, in the book of Genesis, how this family ended up in Egypt. But they end up in Egypt, and the, the family has grown uh, into, this, into this large nation, but they are enslaved by the pharaohs 
of Egypt, and they are put to work, and they are worked very harshly, and they are slaves, and God sends them a deliverer named Moses, and God is going to deliver and redeem his people through this man Moses, who was their leader, and he was the mediator of a covenant, of God's agreement with them, and so God calls Moses to, to go to the Pharaoh and say, hey, let us go. We are going to leave uh, this place to go and, and worship the Lord, and and Pharaoh's heart is hard. This is one of the most powerful men in all of, in all of the world, in all of human history, is this Pharaoh. And, and, and he will not free these people and just digs in his heels. His heart is very hard. And then God starts sending judgment against the nation. He's a series of plagues that happen. Many of you are very familiar with this uh, with the story of of the Passover, but there's a series of, of plagues and judgment coming against Egypt, and the final plague was a plague of death, where the firstborn son and every family was killed, a very harsh and cruel judgment, but the, the, the heart of, of the leader of Pharaoh was very hard, and, but God provided a way for his people to be spared from this plague, so what they did, what the instruction God gave the people was to kill a lamb, and to put the blood of the lamb over the, over the top and the sides of the doors. And that when the angel of death came to bring death to the lamb, the angel would see the blood. The blood of that innocent lamb would cover the people. And the angel of death would pass over those homes. And all the faithful people did this to their homes. Now you can almost picture it. That you get two neighbors, the, these Jewish slaves. And one of them says, hey, we're getting out of here. God's delivering us. There's been all these miracles, all these supernatural judgments, and the last one's coming, and we're good. I, I, put, you know, I put the blood up. Did you put the blood up on, on your house? And the neighbor says, yeah, but, I mean, do you think it's really going to work? I mean, this is pretty scary. There's been darkness, and there's been um, disease, and there's been the, the river turned to blood, and there's all these crazy, what if we die? What, what if it's not good enough? What if, what if Pharaoh just decides to wipe us all out? And so you have one neighbor who said, no, no, we're good. God's good. We've got this. And another neighbor saying, I'm not sure about this. But they both put the blood over their doors. Which, which house then experienced death that night? Neither house. Because one had very strong faith and one had kind of shaky faith, yet uh, the quality of their faith was not the thing that was important. The thing that was important was the God in whom they put their faith. Their obedience to the God who said, this is the way it's going to go. And just by nature of having faith, whether it's strong or weak faith, faith in God because God is faithful, because God is powerful. And he protected the people, and then uh, Pharaoh told them they could go, um, later changed his mind. Anyway, the whole story, uh, we're not going to do the whole, all the details, but God delivers his people. They pass through the Red Sea and head towards uh, a new and good land um, to be a nation together. So... The Passover feast commemorated this great event of God delivering his people and that they were saved by putting their faith in him. And here we have Jesus placing himself into that story. He, he's now um, aligning this sign that he's given his disciples with this historic event. He's equating himself with this Passover lamb, this innocent lamb whose blood is going to cover the people and protect them from death. And, and right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the prophet John the Baptist looked at him and said, 
This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That Jesus is the ultimate Passover Lamb. That every single one of us, because of our sin and our failure, we are slaves, as it were, to sin. And that brings up, that's the ultimate slavery, Jesus says. Yet he's going to deliver us from that. His blood covers our sin. On the cross, he takes the punishment for our sins. He covers us with the blood that he shed. And that uh, we receive forgiveness in his grace through that. And all we have to do is put our faith in him. And you might say, ah, I'm not sure if that's... If all I have to do is trust. And you might say, yeah, absolutely, I'm in. But it's not the quality of your faith. It's his faithfulness in which we put our trust that brings salvation. It comes through faith and the work that God accomplished. So for us today, when we think of, so Jesus is pointing backwards to the Passover. But as we receive these elements, we are thinking backwards to what he accomplished on the cross. And we're remembering that God fulfilled all his promises through Moses, and that he's faithful to the people, and he's faithful to us. And we come forward, and we receive the elements with joy. And it's a celebration of his grace and his goodness. So that's our application today. A couple other things. One is, if you're not familiar with the story of the Exodus and, and of the Passover, I encourage you to read it. Uh, just In your Bible, in Exodus, you can just read the, the whole story. It reads great. At the end of the book, it describes a lot of them building a, a fancy tent, and it can be a little tedious to read through, but uh, read it, and read it again, and, and just um, think of what Jesus did as sort of as a reflection and fulfillment of, of all of God's promises. Remember God's goodness through that. So I encourage you to read that. If you are very familiar with that, another thing to, to connect with this uh, Passover is if you can get yourself, and I don't have the how, but if you can get yourself invited into the home of one of your Jewish neighbors to celebrate a Passover with them, as they do a Passover ritual, we call it Seder, and they, they go through all the steps of that, if you can somehow get yourself invited into one of those, it's a fantastic way to understand the, these deep roots of our faith. So um, you've got, it'll happen in the spring, so you've got all year to figure out how you're going to get invited to that. Uh, but for those of you who have ex I've experienced that before, and it's just a, a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful way to understand our faith through the faith of our uh, Jewish neighbors. And Jesus is pointing backwards to that. Secondly, though, Jesus is pointing to the present. He's pointing to himself. We see this in verse, um, verse 19. Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, verse 20. Uh, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he says, which is poured out for you. He's saying that this is a sign that points to me. It points to my body, my blood, my sacrifice, what I'm about to do on the cross. It's, it's all pointing to him and what he was doing in the present. Um, and, and Now, but there's an odd thing here in the Gospel of Luke. And you may have noticed that in verse 17. Jesus takes the cup and he divides it among them. And then he takes the bread and gives it to them. And then he takes the cup again. So in the other accounts of this, you have Jesus, he takes the cup, he takes the bread and gives it to them, and then the cup. But here we have cup, bread, cup. So a couple, a couple things. One is it's pretty cool. We have, because Luke carefully researched his gospel, uh, Matthew and Mark have the same account of this. So that's kind of one 
attestation to this. Luke has his own, and the Apostle Paul gives an, gives an account of how this went down. We have three independent historic accounts of this, and they all agree with each other. But Luke here has this kind of cop bread cop. And we're not exactly sure why he's included that. What might be happening is that one of the developing traditions of the Passover included multiple cups of wine throughout the meal. And each reminded the people of something different of God's promises that will fulfill. So here, uh, he, is, he has two cups. The one is what would be sort of the third cup. And traditionally, that's the cup of redemption. It corresponds to God's promise, where God says in Exodus 6, 6, 6, he says, I'm the Lord, and I will bring you from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with the mighty acts of judgment. So it's, it's the very cup where, remembering the promise of redemption, Jesus, is, is that is the cup he's celebrating with his disciples, saying that I am, you know, this is the cup of redemption that's going to come through me. So he's specifically associating, and then there would be a subsequent cup uh, that he, he speaks of here later. But the point, is, um, the, the point is that he's establishing a new covenant, a new agreement. Now again, a covenant is a, it's a promise. It's a, it's a deal. It's, it's sort of a contract, but it's, it's more than a contract. It's much more relational than that. It's a commitment to live a certain way. And God made covenant with his people at the time of Moses. So God said, he gives them a covenant. He said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I will deliver you. But there's a certain way you need to live. And he writes out all the law. And Moses takes this law to the people. And he reads it to them. And the people say, yes, this agreement, we want it. We're in. And then what does Moses do? In Exodus 24, it shows Moses... He is sprinkling blood on the people, and he's, he's sprinkling blood over everything. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all, his, all these words. So the blood, at that, the blood of the covenant was, again, not just a symbol or a sign, but it was a seal. It was sort of the, the blood ratified it. It was the signature, the stamp on it that you have blood. And Jesus says, the, this cup is now the seal. It's the sign. When we receive the cup now, it's us saying, yes, I agree. By faith, I take it in. I, this thing has been signed and sealed with the blood of Jesus, and I'm in on it. And Jesus said, this is poured out for you in our place for us, his blood. That is the new covenant. And the, new, this, the idea that there would be a new covenant, that God was moving his people from this covenant of law into a covenant of God's grace through Jesus, was predicted back in the Old Testament, in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, where God says, there's going to be a time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. And he describes that it's not going to be about laws that are you know, written down on tablets or in this law code. It's going to be in their hearts. They're going to know it. It's going to be a, um, I'm going to be with people in such a way that they will know me. And that is the, that is what we experience through Jesus. That our sins are forgiven. We're, he fulfilled all that law for us. And we have his presence and his grace. And, uh, so it, and that is the covenant. 
Now with a covenant, a covenant is something you can renew, that you can agree to, and then sort of restate that you agree to it. So my wife and I, you know, we've been married 18 years today, but we've never re uh, done a renewal of vows. And I'd love to do that someday, where uh, perhaps if you're married, you may have experienced this, where you take your vows and you're still married, but you intentionally say, we're going to say these vows again. We're going to renew them. We're going to say, yes, I agree again. And so every time we receive communion, it's a renewal of a covenant. We're saying, yes, once again, I agree that I put my faith in Jesus. He's done it all for me, and this is a symbol of his blood, and I, I re-up, <laughs> I renew this, this covenant. And we do that every month we, we celebrate. Some traditions, they do this every week, some every time they meet, some less than once a month, and there's lots of reasons for that we're not going to get into. We think one, the bottom line is we think once a, a month is good, and that's why we do it. Uh, there's no magic to, to once a month. But what we do want to, what I do want to be a little more clear on is what is actually, when I take that in, what am I actually taking in? Because there's some traditions say you're actually ingesting Jesus, and others say, well, you're just ingesting bread and wine or unfermented you know, grape juice. What's going on? So one end of the spectrum is just, it's just fully symbolic. This is just bread and juice, and on the other end, this is actually the body and actually the blood of Jesus. That's a view we call uh, transubstantiation. That's sort of the, the theological term for it. And uh, the, the Roman Catholic, essentially the Roman Catholic view where the elements actually become the body and blood of Jesus. That is a view that we reject as a church. And the reason we reject that view, and we, we reject it firmly, is because Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. In the Old Covenant, they had to repeat a whole series of sacrifices to, to, to know forgiveness, to atone for their sins. And the Bible is explicit, particularly in Hebrews chapter 10, that Jesus was a sacrifice one time for all. It's not a sacrifice that you repeat. And if, you, if, if this actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus, and if it is sacrificed again week after week, then it's repeating a sacrifice that was never meant to be repeated, so we reject that. Uh, and we have a lot in common with our Catholic brothers and sisters to, to the extent that we put our faith uh, in Jesus for our salvation, that we see the Bible as God's word, but we certainly part ways on this particular issue. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, we also don't think this is just purely memorial, that this is uh, just bread and juice. We actually... We, and in between, there's a whole spectrum of belief, but basically, we believe that Christ is present in a special way, in a spiritual way, as we are obedient to his call to do this. And, that, um, and that's the, sort of the official view of the church, and even, I know we might have different views of what that specifically means, but we do believe that we, in a special way, experience Jesus in this, and we experience his grace. The, the idea of a sacrament is that God's grace is conveyed to us in this act as we take it in. And not saving grace, we're saved, you know, we're saved by faith, and that's a one-time thing, but we experience his grace through the obedience of this uh, in a special way. So, and if you think about it, what's really profound about this is Jesus didn't say, um, teach this. He didn't say, think about this. He said, do this. We get to actually take it in. 
It's, it's a metaphor that is acted out in life. And the nutrients of this little bit of bread and this uh, little cup become part of our body. It's, it, the, the nutrients of that become who we are, and we are taking it in. It's a very powerful symbol. It's not just a, just a memorial, but it's a very powerful act of, of receiving. And this is profound for us because it reminds us that Christ is present with us all the time. And that wherever you go this week, when you leave this place, we, we talk about this week in and week out, but when you launch out of here, wherever you go, whether it's a, a lovely place, this time tomorrow you're going to be somewhere, you may like where you are, you might have a great job or be with your family or learning something. You might be in a terrible place. Maybe you're unemployed or you're, um, you have a terrible boss or you're, you're out there or you're ill or whatever you're, Whatever you face, whether it's beautiful or awful, Christ is with you. He's present with you always. And when we receive the elements, we're reminded of the present reality, the abiding relationship we have with Jesus. So we're going to take these elements today, and we're going to be reminded of that, that he is the source of our life. So it's a past reality, it's a present reality, but it's also a sign that points to the future. Uh, verse 16, we see this, says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again eating this Passover. I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And again in verse 18, I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is saying, look, there's a, there's a future drink to be drinking, drunken, dr drunk, drinks. There's a future drink. <laughs> and it's coming, and it's in the future. And that's why if, if, if we understand that there was multiple cups, the last cup of the remembrance is uh, the cup of consummation. It's the cup that says it's all this uh, deliverance is completed at the time of the Exodus. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to drink that cup until some point in the future when it will all be known in its fullness. It's, it points to what is described in Revelation chapter 19 as this the ultimate celebration, the ultimate meal, where there is a lamb there, and it's Jesus. And it's, we, we refer to it as the wedding supper of the lamb. At the end of time, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, and there's going to be a reckoning and judgment, and all of God's people will be before him, and it's a feast, and there'll be wine and food, and we'll be in the presence of the Lamb. It'll be a place of no more tears, no more darkness. God's light and his goodness will be known fully. And when we observe this together, we do it looking forward. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you're proclaiming something that happened in the past, but it's, we're proclaiming it looking forward to the future when he returns and completes his work. Therefore, when you come forward and receive the elements today, whatever the condition of your life, whatever, again, we talked about last week, we talked about suffering, whatever suffering you face, whatever whatever harm has been done to you in your life, whatever uh, trials you face, that there will be a future reckoning and God will make it all completely right. You'll be completely healed. You will never die. You will live eternally with him. And we receive it and we remember that he's done something in the past, that he's with me in my present no matter what, and that he will keep me safe for all eternity. And that is for you. It's not just about today. It's about then. It's not just the past. It's not just the present. It's not just the future. It's all of it together. 
and we remember that this morning. So the, the good thing about you know this this message is it's not just something you have to think about later in the week. We're going to do it, and we're going to receive the elements together, remembering all these things. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this gift, this remembrance, this this sign that we act out, but that we ingest, that we take it in, and may it be for us a spiritual reality, remembering your great sacrifice, remembering that you are present with us every moment, and remembering that you have a plan, and we have a hope and a future. Father, if there is anybody in this room who has never put their faith in you, Lord, maybe there's people who have seen this sign a hundred times, and have looked at it, and, and we think we understand it, but if, if there's any who has not submitted to you, Lord, it's not about our faith, but it's about you, the object of our faith, your goodness, what you have accomplished, Father. I pray that anyone here might, in this very moment, turn to you in prayer and say, Father, I have sinned, I have gone my own way. I thank you that Jesus is the perfect lamb, that he died in my place, that his blood is the deal. It seals the deal, it covers my sin, it forgives me. It binds me to you, I trust it. I put my weak faith into it. Pray that you would grow my faith. Pray that I would live for you. Pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit in every way. That I may know that I'm your child. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would all renew our faith. That we would renew this covenant again as we receive the elements. And that you be glorified. You provided everything we need. You are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.